This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Whatever you're going through in life, you will find a way. The famous film director Robert Altman always chose his next project based upon the idea, I don't know how to make that film. He chose that resistance. He chose that challenge because he knew it brought out the best in him. So with people, with human beings, with you and me, when our back is against the wall, that is when we find strength and ingenuity that we didn't know we had. So allow yourself to be exposed to those challenges, to that difficulty, and understand that that will tap into your inner genius. Necessity is the mother of invention. And whatever you're going through, you will find a way. So listen, I hope all is good. What have you been up to? I've been going around, you know, I've got a little moped. I have a 125 moped, a, a scooter, little thing. It's not a motorbike. It, it's annoying because it is a motorbike. But I tell people I have a motorbike and they go, oh, what kind of machine have you got? And they're expecting some kind of Yamaha monster, some kind of Harley Davidson freak show of a bike. And instead, it's just a hairdryer on wheels, but it gets me around. I love it. I remember being introduced to the idea of getting a motorbike, getting a moped by a very brilliant chap who I used to work with, a radio producer, who um, actually he was a bit of a, you know, he was an innovator in his own right. He would make for a good inspiration for this podcast, actually, because he was a real ideas guy, very creative, very intelligent indeed, and understood the audience, understood presenters. He was good on the practical stuff, the logistics, the nuts and bolts of putting a show together. He was good at his job. Interesting background, actually. I won't out him because, you know, I'll maybe say some things about him which are quite, um, quite private. So let's call him Billy Bob. And I did work with this Billy Bob. But by the way, I mean, he's not going to, you know, sue me because what I have to say about Billy Bob is very positive indeed. A proper Londoner. And when he was younger, in his 20s, he was a ruffian. He was a tearaway and used to get into fights in pubs with like stools and pool cues and stuff, like out of a Western, do you know what I mean? Men sort of falling onto tables and scrambling around on the floor with each other. Proper old school 1970s style fighting, which I miss. Do you miss that? Whatever happened to men brawling in pubs? I grew up, my parents ran a popular public house for four decades and there was a lot of brawling, I can't lie. Uh, I'd be upstairs watching EastEnders and I could feel this rumble in the floorboards and we're like, uh oh, there's trouble. I won't make light of it. I've got to be honest, it, it was never good, but um, but it was interesting. And for some reason, brawling has stopped, hasn't it? Why why don't people go to bars anymore, get drunk and then, you know, all that fisty cuff stuff? 
And then they start getting tired, don't they? They start hugging each other. What's that all about? It's like you either like each other or you don't. Do you know what I mean? It's like, is this a fight or is this the beginning of a beautiful relationship? Yeah, fights. People punching each other and having fights. I miss it. Now all people do is send very, very nasty tweets, don't they? The brawls have gone digital. Even the word brawl, no one says it anymore. B-R-A-W-L. What a word, brawl. It's a very difficult word to say. It's an unsatisfactory word, isn't it, really? I don't think it works. Brawl, brawl. It's a sound. Brawl. The English language could do better, don't you think? Anyway, how do we get onto brawls? How the hell did we get onto brawls? Uh... That's unhelpful because I was right in the middle of a thing there, wasn't I? But I like to, um, I reckon I'll come back to it. But here's here's the thing. And I know you'll, you'll now be shouting at your computer screen or your um, cell phone, reminding me what, why and how we got onto brawls. Um, but anyway, look, it doesn't matter because I'm going to get to the point I actually wanted to tell you before I diverted. And it was that, um, oh, yes, it was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was my excellent ex-producer colleague. Um, another way that he was in, in. Oh, what he did, though, by the way, is he completely changed his life. So, you know, when I knew him, he was mild mannered, intellectual, cerebral, peace loving, caring, gentle. This is the magic of life is that you can completely reinvent yourself. You literally just zero out the scoreboard and you go again. I can tell you that because when I went to my first school, I was a really bad student and they found me very annoying. The teachers found me annoying. I had friends, was I had good friends, but the teachers did not like me. And I think it's because they thought I was, that I, they thought I had a brain, but they felt I wasn't applying myself. And when you're a teacher, that's very frustrating. And I understand that. But look, for God's sakes, I was 11. What are you going to do? When you're 11, you're supposed to just pick your nose and stare out of the window, aren't you? And have daydreams and stuff. Ridiculous. Anyway, I wasn't cut out for it, but I got a real bad name, like a real reputation at the school among the teachers. I got endless detentions and punishment homeworks. And honestly, I did not feel liked. I did not feel popular. I did not feel, to use a very modern and woke word, I didn't feel very safe or secure, really, emotionally. Physically, I was fine, but, you know, it just wasn't it was an uncomfortable place to be. And I remember I think I, I, you know, I definitely developed my nail biting habit from all the anxiety of that first school. And I will say that clearly I brought some of that on myself. I don't want to blame them entirely, but I was a kid. You know what I mean? What are you going to do with a kid? A kid's a kid, isn't it? So I had that time at school and then I decided when I went to my next school, I was going to start again. And the amazing thing about the next school is they didn't know that I was this annoying, uh, lazy, chaotic student. They didn't know. They knew nothing about me. They knew nothing about any of us starting at secondary school. You can just be whatever you want to be, can't you? You've got no reputation. Which is why, by the way, I think it's probably a very good idea sometimes if things really don't work out for people in a certain career, change industry or even change country and just go again and learn from those mistakes. 
So um, I went to my secondary school and because I'd been so bad at the other school, I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to reinvent myself. So I became the most studious kid and I got all my homework done early and very neatly and got it all handed in. And I did well in the exams. I was just a different kid, unrecognizable because I had a chance to reinvent myself. It's lovely. So if you get an opportunity to reinvent yourself, let's say you get a new job. And there's a bit of a hangover from how things were at your last employer. Start afresh and make yourself different. Make yourself better. Don't be the person you were at the last job and just be a Madonna, right? Just have a new look and a new vibe and go again. Look at any great creative work. There's a wonderful change, a wonderful journey. The Beatles, how they developed and changed, kept reinventing themselves. Anyway, so I went to the secondary school and I was like, and I got, um, Got a, I got a report from the French teacher and she said, Mark Dolan is the most enthusiastic boy in the school with an exclamation mark. Now, this is from a teacher. I was hated by the teachers at the other place, but I, I seized that opportunity. I was like, they don't know how awful I am. So I'll just be the thing I want to be. Because the thing is, I'm still the same person. It is still the same kid, but it's a kid that's been given a chance to be someone else you know i mean yes it's you but a better you an upgrade isn't it sort of software upgrade 2.0 that's what this guy did um billy bob he he was i think just a bit of a ruffian as a youth maybe a bit of a troublemaker a bit wild a bit scary a bit spooky um now he's a very successful mild-mannered talented radio producer and entrepreneur and the reason why he was quite um, a bit of an innovator, and I think I might have mentioned actually this before without getting to who he was on a previous show, which is that he worked very efficiently and he'd come in before the show and then we'd come off air and then he'd like do a little bit of work and then he was out of there. He did not do a nine to five. He did not do the full eight hours with a lunch break in the middle. He got out at lunchtime. He's like, my work is done. I'll see you later. He was very self-confident, very self-possessed. And people are like, well, why aren't you sticking around for this or that? He's like, well, we've done the show. We're, tomorrow's show, all, all the work is prepared. We're ready. Our work is done. Get out of here. Brilliant. Anyway, so he was good. He had a certain rebel spirit. I think this is something that you should tap into yourselves, you know, is to be a slight rebel at times in a very strategic way. Not just rebel for the sake of it, but, you know, this, this show is about bending those rules slightly, understanding where the line is and just going right to the edge of it. OK, being a little bit naughty, strategic naughtiness, right? Not naughtiness for the sake of it, but strategic naughtiness. Um, and I was telling him I did this radio show and it was very tough because it, I was producing it with him and it was very early starts. So you would get up at like 3.30 in the morning and then I would get the night bus to work because the radio station did not extend to a taxi, which I think was disappointing at that time in the morning, don't you think? But I got the night bus. And why I don't like the night bus, which is a bus service through the night, is that, yes, you have people on their way to work and that's fine. But then you have people coming back from nightclubs and parties who are still drunk and singing and it just doesn't feel right to sit next to a drunk man on your way to work. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this is the commute. I'm gearing up for my day. He's gearing down. 
did not like that night bus. Oh, and I also felt, I, I can't lie, felt a little physically vulnerable because then I'm walking down these dark streets in the middle of the night. There's drunk people staggering around the place, people hanging around in alleyways and street corners. It's not, it's not ideal, is it? NGL. NGL means not going to lie. It's the first letter of each word, one after the other. So I was exploring other things to do. I never really took seriously the idea of a bicycle. I don't know why. Bikes are great. I believe in them. And I say, well done for their existence. Never really been a cycling person. I think I don't like the idea of arriving at work slightly sweaty. I find that too human, you know. I consider myself in the workplace this sort of abstract being. I'm like this sort of spiritual force rather than just a sweaty bloke. That's that's kind of how I feel. So if I'm kind of clean and crisp, I feel like this presentable commodity. Whereas if I got into the office huffing and puffing and sweating and stinking and just excreting waste products from the pores of my skin, you know, just really humming, real kind of puffy, you know, red face, dilated pupils. You know, it's not a good look, is it? I like to kind of breeze in in a crisp, clean, pressed shirt. Some clean jeans, some sparkling shoes, not sort of scuffed up with like horrible chain oil from the bike because it broke on the way and I had to like do a puncture or something. And oh, thanks, but no thanks. So a bicycle wasn't going to be the thing. A car is obviously not an option because you're not going to drive into central London every day. Um, so I thought about a moped. And I spent a year deliberating about this. Honestly, I reckon it was a year. And this guy, Billy Bob, one day we sit next to each other at work. He said, haven't you got that bike yet? And I went, oh, I'm still not sure. Because I was concerned about the safety, really. Because it's a bit of a leap, isn't it? A motorbike. That's that's a big step in your life. Um, he said, have you not done it yet? And I said, no, I'm still not sure. And I thought, honestly, the best part of a year thinking about it. And he said, just do it. And I said, why? Why, Billy Bob? And he looked at me with his big blue eyes and he said, I'm going to count the number of words he said. He, he gave me five words and he just said, he just said, well, it's freedom, isn't it? How brilliant is that? Does anyone ever stop you in your tracks with just an amazing moment of wisdom? And he just said to me, well, it's freedom, isn't it? And that's exactly what it is. It's freedom, isn't it? So be open to advice. OK, this guy changed my life because I've been scooting around on, on my moped now. Since then, you're looking at over 20 years of freedom and of independence. And yes, I've had a few bumps and scrapes along the way, but it suits my mentality because I have always historically been a freelancer and it's something about going around on your bike and you go from job to job. It just fits that freelance mentality. You are independent. You park wherever you like. Uh, it is economical. I think it works out. If you get it right, I think it works out as, as much or sometimes even less than public transport. And it's pleasurable. I like to go into work. I'm sometimes offered a car for work stuff. They say, oh, we'll send a car or we'll pick you up or whatever. There'll be a cab or a cab home. But 
Nothing beats the cold, fresh air blowing in my face as I ride into work. I find it therapeutic, a bit uh, mesmeric, a bit um, meditational. So I really do love it. I mean, if you if you are thinking about getting a motorbike, be very careful because they, those things can be deadly. What I'd advise you to do if you're going to get a motorbike is get really good lessons. Because I just got like so many lessons and I did the really proper course. You know, I didn't just do the basics enough to get me a pass. I did it thoroughly, ridiculously thoroughly, because I just had a job in radio at that point. So I had an income and I decided I'm going to spend money learning how to ride a motorbike. It was money well spent. There's one particular move called the lifesaver where you've got to look over your shoulder before you do a different maneuver. And it's called the lifesaver because the number of people who die when they don't do that. That's what you're paying for. So if you get a motorbike, buy a brilliant helmet made of fiberglass and get loads of lessons. And the other big one is visibility. And it's the same for cyclists, by the way, which is wear something yellow. Cyclists, obviously, you've got to have lights on your bike. But on a motorbike or on a bicycle, very high vis. I've got the ridiculous pizza delivery type, you know, the full high vis thing. It looks ridiculous. But um, I have it on good authority from police officers that whenever there are fatal road collisions or tragic accidents, some crazy figure like 80% of the time, the driver says, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. What do they always say? They say, I didn't see him. So being seen is a real superpower on the road. Car drivers don't have to worry because they're in this lovely metal cage. But anyone on two wheels, be seen to be safe. That's quite good, isn't it? That's like a slogan. Be seen to be safe. I like that. Um, I've always thought I, I could have been an advertising executive, you know, like kind of one of those whiz kid, like Don Draper from Mad Men. I did. A, I was quite pleased. I did a gig, comedy gig, at an advertising agency. And when I got there, I had a little look around because uh, we, we did it in their office, which was a bit bizarre. And um, I had a look and I found out some of the accounts they had. And so then I went on stage and I said, oh, I, I see you've got a few clients. I've got some, I'd like to pitch you some ideas for a little slogans and stuff like that. And I mean, a few different slogans, I can't remember what they were. But they, um, they had one of their clients was National Express Buses, which if you're listening in the United States is like a Greyhound bus. But, you know, it's basically just a, just a bus, a bus service, right? Um, but but not like a local within the city, but the, you know the bus for those longer trips to other from from one city to another, right? Long long distance bus trips called National Express. And uh, slogan I had for them was uh, National Express. Why get there more quickly? I quite like that. Why get there more quickly? What you're doing is you're owning the fact that it's slow. It's like, why would you want to get there more quickly when you're in our luxurious, gorgeous buses? I haven't done that much bus travel when it comes to like from city to city. I would always take the train because I don't know about you, but I, I suffer tremendous nausea sitting on a bus for too long. And it reminds me of my school days. So um, that is the point I was making. But that brings it full circle which is uh, the freedom, listening to people's advice, right? It's freedom, isn't it? Which takes me to the very next important observation I've got for you. And it relates to something 
I observed just this week. So I'm cruising along on my motorbike and enjoying the freedom that it brings. It's a little bit like, you know, when you see those pictures from the 1950s and you'll have a sort of city centre street, like in London, it would be Oxford Street. And there are just pictures of cars parked in front of Selfridges or Harrods or something like that. And it was just that the innocent good old days when a car would just drive into the middle of a city and just park outside one of the really famous buildings. And you didn't even have like parking tickets or traffic wardens or anything. There was just space on the road. Um, you also have those lovely pictures, those vintage pictures of bicycles outside shops. And what they do is there's no locks or chains or anything like that or padlocks. Someone would just get off their bicycle and they would they would have the pedal leaning on the curb. So the bike is just like just held on the curb upright and then they could just go about their business and they'd go back to the bike that would be there. Imagine. I mean, I know there was crime back in the day, but there's definitely lots of vintage photos that show you that, you know, people didn't have to lock up their bikes. Cars didn't really, you know, the locks on car doors were pretty basic. People used to leave their front doors open or their back doors open, windows open. Um, kind of low level crime is very annoying, isn't it? One of the most traumatic things about owning a motorbike is the fact that they get stolen. And the issue you've got is that it doesn't matter how well locked the bike is. I mean, you can put 10 locks on it, but all it involves, all it needs is two lads to come along and just take one end each, lift the bike into the back of a van and off it goes. So I've had a few bike thefts. Um, the worst bike theft story I can tell you, I mean, it's not worst, of course, it's not worst because nobody was hurt or anything, but it was just very depressing, which is I dragged myself off to a gig and it was unpaid and it was a new material night in a pub and I didn't really want to do it and I wasn't in the mood and I think it was one of those things where when you get a new material night, it's only worthwhile if you actually write new material. And it was one of those where I hadn't organized myself to really prepare that much new stuff. So then you just wind up doing your old stuff at a new material night, which is just a waste of everyone's time. I mean, the only advantage is at least you get a run out of your material. It's still a performance, but really it's about the new stuff. Anyway, I think I had a few bits and pieces of new stuff, but I went to this gig and there were a few people in the audience and it had the worst thing ever with the microphone had an echo on it. So it's like being at Wembley Stadium. So you tell your joke and you're like haunted by the sound of your own punchline. It was rubbish. And yeah. Oh, and also, I don't think it went that well. They didn't really laugh. So it wasn't creatively successful. The crowd didn't have a great time. It was just not good. And I have to tell you that I feel like I could count on one hand the number of really awful gigs I've had. You know, I've really enjoyed almost every gig. I don't know why, even the ones that aren't perfect. Um, there's something, there's some value every time. But this one was, there was no value. It was just thumbs down, right? So rubbish gig. I then come out of the venue to go home and the space where my bike was outside the pub is just empty. And it really is a horrible feeling. So just, you've got a mental picture of your bicycle, your motorbike just sat there parked and locked you just come out and there's just a gap in the gap in the road where it was parked. It's just nothing, just an empty space. 
it is like having one of your babies stolen or something. And I know it's obviously it's not even zero point zero 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 and a half percent comparable. But at that moment, it's very traumatic. Plus, it's costly as well. That the issue with motorbikes is that if they're not that valuable, mine are never very valuable. It's not worth claiming the insurance because then your insurance goes up and you pay in excess and it goes down as a claim and it's rubbish. So you just take the hit. Isn't that annoying? You just take the financial hit. Insurance is only a good idea. For, I mean, you have to have insurance, but claiming on insurance is only worth it if it's a kind of 15 grand Harley Davidson or something. Then obviously it's worth it. You know what I mean? 10 grand's worth of Honda, but not not um, 1,400 quid's worth of Peugeot, which is what I'm currently riding at the moment, a Peugeot, not a car, it's a motorbike, but I like it. Anyway, so I'm cruising around on my bike. Yeah, and it is, I mentioned the, the uh, vintage photos and, you know, car parked in, in the city centre. Um, it's still like that with a motorbike because with a motorbike, you can go anywhere, really, you can go any streets. And there are boroughs in London where parking your motorbike is free anywhere. So you just get off your bike, throw it somewhere and walk off. It's great. Um, there are other parts of London where it's more regulated and you've got to have a special bay. But then I've got this great thing, which is I hide the bike in places. So I find like a little alleyway and just stick the bike, you know, behind a wheelie bin or something. You can get it's a motorbike, right? It's not very big. You can just hide it. You can't hide an Audi, let me tell you. Good luck with that. So I'm enjoying the freedom. I'm riding around on my motorbike and I pull up at the lights and I hear this guy and he's in his car and he's having a sort of altercation with a police officer and the officer is like talking to him about some contravention and something he's done wrong and the way he was driving or whatever. And the guy is sort of aggressive and argumentative and... Listen, there's only one winner in that encounter, and that is the police officer. So this is a message to you in life, which is know when you're beat. OK, because this show is all about fighting a good fight. Be strong, be a disruptor, challenge the narrative, challenge the status quo, break the rules, innovate, all of that. But if you're beat, you're beat. Do you know what I mean? If it's if you're done. OK. You just accept that and you don't fight it. Right? You you there's very good in, in snooker because you're playing snooker and let's say your opponent amasses a large number of points. It's going to take such a gargantuan effort to win the game back. Like technically, let's say that the player's got, I don't know, 67 points and there's there's another 68 points available on the table. So technically, if you've got every ball in. You could win. But sometimes what a player will do as a strategic move is they'll concede the game. Right. So they get back. They get back on the table. It's their turn. They're going to have to get 68 points, which is almost impossible. Right. And that what they do is they, just, they say, I, I concede the game. And what that allows them to do is not waste energy and time on a game that they're probably going to lose anyway, because they're minus 67 points. And that is when the snooker player knows their beats. They've made a calculation, a strategic calculation. I think a tennis player could do it where they think, you know what? I'm 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 um I'm not gonna hold my serve here. I'm just gonna I mean you obviously try for every point, but it's just a really good thing. So the policeman, you know, 
they pull you over. They they have full control of that situation. That is not an, not an equal encounter. They have knowledge of the law. They have power. They have expertise. They have a camera attached to their um, uniform, probably. They've got a notebook. They've got colleagues. They've got a radio. They've got a car. They are tooled up, let me tell you. And what have you got? There you are in your Skoda Fabia estate, having accidentally gone into a bus lane. So what I do with police officers, <clears throat> they've got a hard job, is to be very respectful, very nice, and also to drop your status. So you just say, hello, officer, how can I help? I don't want you to like fall to your knees and become some kind of pathetic, um, you know, slave. You don't have to subjugate yourself, but you're just very, very um, respectful. And, and that is and I've had good encounters with police officers where sometimes they have exercised discretion. And I think what helps if you if you demonstrate an attitude, which is that you're listening, you're non-confrontational. Uh, and you let them engage with you. Police officers in Britain are very good because I think they're trained to kind of engage with people and talk to people. I think they call it policing by consent, which is very clever. <clears throat> so they're not they're not really bullies. It's very different when you go to the States or you go to the continent. The police officers can be a bit more like more like the military, but not uh, not in the UK. They're, they're really they're very often, perhaps normally, majority of times very fair. So if I've kind of driven into a bus lane or maybe driven a bit too fast or whatever, <clears throat> you know, you can't BS these people. You know, they go, do you, do you know how fast you were driving? I mean, you know, you just put your hands up. You know, um, I'm imagining it probably a little too fast, officer. Yada, yada. And what you do is you demonstrate that you understand what you've done was wrong. That you reflect on that. That you're listening to what the officer has got to say. And that there's a note of contrition. And what happens then for the cop is the cop thinks, right, well, he was doing 23 in a 20. But he's acknowledged that immediately. He's listened to me. He hasn't lied because that's the thing you don't do to a cop is lie and say, no, I wasn't. Or I'm on my way to hospital or any of that stuff. You know, you just you drop all of the. You you wave the white flag, you you. you you know, there's no excuses. You're just like, yeah, I, I, that does sound too fast, officer. And it's a really bad idea. And and eventually what they do is they just come to a judgment, which is um, very often or, or sometimes at least where they go, OK, well, I'll, I'll let this one go. And they I definitely had a cop once. I was just riding my motorbike a little bit, a little bit too quick. And he just said, I give everyone a second chance. So it was a lovely thing. He said, I give everyone a second chance. And I said, thank you, officer. I really appreciate that. And I'll reflect on my mistake. And that's a great great encounter now sometimes you'll have a, have a horrible police officer that just um takes it all the way writes down your details and you get the fine and you get the points on your license it's very annoying sometimes they don't do discretion but again there's nothing you can do about it so know when you're beat okay let it go understand if there's a power imbalance there it's like you go to the boss and you ask for a pay rise and in the end the boss will decide you know you can't make them you can't make them give you a pay rise what you can cajole, get them on the right day and put arguments as to why, why it's in their interest to give you a pay rise. But in the end, the boss is the boss, which is why you've always got to be quite nice to the boss. You know, 
in the end, isn't it? Is that a hill to die on? Is that a battle to fight with the boss? Not really. Until the power balance changes. So let's imagine that the boss is calling the shots. That's what the boss is. But imagine if a rival business comes in with an offer and they say, hey, we, wanna, we want you to come and work for us and we'll double your money. Well, suddenly the boss is not that powerful anymore. And at that point, you can go to the boss and you can throw your weight around. You go, listen, boss, um, I've been offered another job here. And the boss is like, oh, I want you to stay, I want you to stay. And suddenly you start, start telling the boss the things that you want. You're like, well, I want a bigger team and I want this and I want that and I want, uh, and I want a better desk and I want that big office. And the boss will do it. So suddenly the power balance has changed. So your job every day is to identify where the power is, what ratio of power you have to that other person. And if it's a police officer and you, let me tell you, that is zero for you and 100 for the cop. For the boss, it's probably about 20 for you, 80 for the boss. And hopefully for your loving relationships and your friendships, it's 50-50. If it isn't, that needs to be recalibrated. It should be equal. But there you go. Let it know. Uh, sorry, let it go. Um, and also let it um, know when you're beat. Uh, can I apologize, by the way, for the slightly slow nature of my brain in part two of this podcast? And the reason why is the first half of the podcast I did at lunchtime. And then I had to go off to work. So I haven't been at work for all these hours. I've done a TV show. So the brain is a little slower right now. It is one in the morning. It's not one. It's 1.53 a.m. My brain is a little frazzled. So I'm sorry that, you know, it's not possibly quite as as the first half. So you literally this this podcast is a tale of two cities. It is it's it's bifurcated. You've got the high energy first half. And the low energy second half. Um, but what I decided to do was I'm on a deadline because we are dropping this podcast tomorrow, a day after tomorrow. So I need to get it, need to get it uh, in the system and everything. But also it ties in with a very early theme of the show, which is whatever you're feeling like you're tired, you're not in the mood or you can't do it that well, do it anyway. Right. So that's I'm afraid to say part two of this podcast is an example of me deciding that. Yes, I could try and, you know, have more energy and we do it tomorrow, but then I'm going to run late with it. It has to be done now. We just do it. So I hope that helps. I, I try in this show to walk the walk and to do the things that I recommend because we're on this journey together. It's you and it's me. I saw a guy walking down the street and he was quite muscly and he had one of those gym T-shirts which is basically, it's a t-shirt with no sleeves whatsoever so that you see all of his muscly arms. And I thought it was unattractive and I'll tell you for why, because all right, he's got a great body, but he's wearing a special t-shirt which is designed to show his muscles. I don't think he needs to do that. Okay, I mean, I'm not attacking this guy. Fair enough, good luck to him. It's a free, it's a free country. But it's so obvious, the messaging there is, I need you to see my muscles. It's almost an insecurity. And I think you don't have to do that, right? If you've got the muscles, you've got the muscles. It's for you. And there will be moments when people catch a glimpse of those muscles, when they catch a glimpse of that strength, and it will be very impressive and very attractive. 
I'll give you a good example. The broadcaster, Joe Rogan, right? Very good. What a guy. Biggest podcast in the world. And he's very muscly and stuff. And, he, you know, there's videos of him working out. And, of course, he's, he's got these muscles. And, all right, super duper. Well done. Well done, everyone. But it doesn't, uh, doesn't really, it doesn't do anything for me, right? But sometimes he's doing his podcast and he's just wearing like a jumper, right? Like a hoodie. Right now, that is not flattering for a muscly guy. It's just a hoodie. But sometimes you're wearing a hoodie and you can just see, you can actually see the guns in in the arm of the hoodie, right? Just a little hint of muscle just pushing at the cotton. That is so cool because he's not walking around going, hey, look at me. It's just there are these muscles there which are kind of just smothered in the um, cotton hoodie. I think that's a great thing. It, it, there's a broader theme about that, which is, don't show your strength, just be strong. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be advertised. If you're strong, you're strong and it will be seen. You don't have to like, you know, you don't need to tell people about it. It's like old people when they keep announcing their age because they want people to go, that's amazing. I can't believe you're 80. Um, just, you don't need to do that. You just be 80 and be remarkably young for your age and people won't even think about it but i think it's just a thing um i won't veer into the complicated world of women it's none of my business but i think maybe i could just humbly say that every woman is beautiful okay um and again let, let's imagine you know like the guy with the muscly arms some women i guess very much advertise, you know, really, really, really put it out there, of course, um, no problem. But I think that what is really attractive is um, with a female is, is actually what you don't see. It's kind of what I'm saying. And that people's beauty, people's attractiveness is more subtly displayed. I mean, by the way, by the way it's, it's all great. Do you know what I mean? But I just think for blokes, for women, whatever attributes you have bodily wise, I, I don't think you have to. Don't think it's got to be sort of flagged up in that way. You know, that guy walking across the street with the sleeveless shirt, you know, he could just be wearing. I sometimes notice people I work with and they're like in a suit, a business shirt. And you can you can see just like under the shirt. It's like, hey, there's some guns happening there. I just think it's more impressive. And I think it's just true with anything in life. You know, it's like you know any any strength that you have any quality any attribute you don't have to front load it you don't have to push it out there you know if you're funny if you're clever if you're insightful if you're this if you're that whatever is good about you okay um that's good about you it doesn't need to be superficially platformed it's there and it will be called upon and it will be seen and it will just be through that mechanism, it will be more attractive, I think. Uh, that's just my opinion. And it's all about opinions, isn't it? Uh, it takes me back to that story from The Lion King, which is slightly different, but slightly related. And you've got the baby lion and you've got the dad lion. Simba is the baby, right? And then dad, can't remember what dad's called, but he's he's a good guy. And Simba is told, don't go to the elephant playground, no, the elephant graveyard. The elephant graveyard is very dangerous in The Lion King. It's a horrible kingdom, 
where the bad people are, like the hyenas. And Simba, being a little kid, was like, well, you tell me I can't do it. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So Simba um, goes off to the Elephant Graveyard. And then Dad has to go and rescue Simba because it's dangerous and he nearly gets killed. And when Dad gets him home, he's like, what do you do that for? And, and the kid said, I wanted to be brave. I want to show how brave I am. And dad says, you do not have to show your braveness. You can be brave when called upon to be so. That the bravery will be asked of you. But you don't have to go out there and be brave and throw it around. Because your time will come when that bravery is needed. And that's how you harness it. And that's kind of what I'm saying, really. That is what I'm saying. By the way, there are so many ideas for this show, and I do sometimes forget them. If you ever get an idea in your life, like an idea for a work thing or something social, any aspect of your life, if you get an idea, write it down. Do you remember when I talked to you about having a little notebook, a tiny little notebook in your pocket at all times and a delightfully colored pen? Because why is it only children that get to have fun colored pens? This is a, if you're watching on YouTube, this is a pink felt tip pen it just makes me happy just looking at it and i love what it looks like on the paper and i like holding it and it's just delightful i've also got mauve and then a kind of what is that sort of royal blue orange i'm living the dream um but write it down write down ideas um you know the uh song rocket man by elton john what is the lyrics? The opening lyric of that. It's quickly lyrics. Elton. Oh no, no, Rocket Man. It's a good illustration. Okay. She packed my bags last night pre-flight. Zero hour, 9am. That's an Elton John song. I'm sure you know. Brilliant song. Now those two opening lyrics, of course, the lyricist is the genius of... Bernie Taupin, who's another key hero of mine. And he's written those um, that lyric and he was driving along and he had this lyric in his head. And it was, she packed my bags last night, pre-flight, zero hour, 9 a.m. And he really liked that. He's driving along. He's, like, he's in the car. He hasn't got a pen and paper. So he's driving home and he just keeps saying it over and over again. So he can't forget it. Right. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight, zero hour, 9 a.m. And then the minute he got into the house, he ran straight in, opened his notebook, wrote it down, bang, saved it. Well, him remembering that led to Rocket Man, which is one of the most lyrically and musically beautiful songs ever written. Uh, such an iconic song that Elton is known as the Rocket Man. And the film of the same name. So any valuable ideas you get, you know, an idea for a business, an idea for a cookie recipe, an idea for, oh, I need to call Steve. Anything that pops into your head, write it down straight away. We're very lucky now because we have smartphones, most of us, don't we? And you'll have a notes app on. So you, you don't even need the pad if you don't want. You can just go straight into your phone, email it to yourself. And the reason why is because, well, these things pop into your head, not by accident. There's some reason why, you know, that lyric popped into Bernie Taupin's head. 
or um, I just remembered a little a thing that I want to talk to you about on the next show, which is the importance of, for weight loss, the importance of sometimes being hungry and not being afraid to be hungry. We'll do that next week. Um, in praise of hunger, hunger's okay. But I'll properly contextualize that later, so I won't take that. I won't, we won't do that yet because it takes a bit of explaining. But um, the best person I've heard describe the way that these thoughts arrive is Noel Gallagher, very talented singer-songwriter, as you know, one half of Oasis, amazing songwriter. And he said he was asked about writing songs and things like that. You know, does he sit there and just grind it out? How does he do it? And he said, no, he said the songs just kind of fall through the air. And it's my job to sort of catch them in my hand as they fall. But amazingly, a song like Wonderwall or Cigarettes and Alcohol or Don't Look Back in Anger, any of those songs, that they arrived, they sort of fell upon him. And I think actually that's very true of all creativity, but also any ideas, you know. And a big thing of this show is going to be encouraging you to be more creative because it doesn't matter what you do. You can be an accountant, you can be a management consultant, whatever it is. Creativity is a big part of life and it's something glossed over and overlooked by most people. I'm just having a look at the time. We're nearly on an hour. I, I don't know how you feel about these long podcasts. <laughs> is it okay? I, I've got this thing, which is, I've had advice from people I really respect and love very much who have said, make it half an hour. But I just feel that if I do half an hour, all you're going to get is like the waffle and you won't get any of the specific takeaway valuable stuff. But then if I only do the takeaway valuable stuff, you won't get the waffle. And I feel like you should have both. I hope you agree. Blimey, I'm in trouble if you don't. You could be yelling at your smartphone now going, no, half an hour's plenty. I know you're all very busy, but I'm trying to make a podcast that you, that I would like as well. And I'm always a bit disappointed when podcasts are half an hour because I, I, I like an hour. I just think I like a substantial meal. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, we'll see. I'll, I'll have a think about the duration. But um, I like spending time with you and I hope the feeling's mutual. So look, but we won't waffle on too much now. I'm going to tie this up. But I think that was good. I think we covered that. If I look at the clock, I think I 26 minutes and then we've done another 20. That would be 46 minutes, wouldn't it? It's a fair amount of your time, isn't it? I thought it was nearly an hour, but I do even think that's quite a lot. Um, I think we're going to we're going to wrap on this. I think on the next episode, we're going to talk about how to get your trip to the cinema right okay the proper set of life hacks for going to the cinema we're going to talk about washer dryers and also how to make cleaning your home fun and life-changing so we'll do all of that next time because i've got them down they're all there now but i want to come to you fresh for the next one i'm going to come out firing with some of those and a lot more by the way collaboration i think it's the first podcast where i've given you a preview of the next episode that's quite exciting isn't it isn't that how charles dickens did it charles dickens was very clever because he he wrote for periodicals it meant that his books were very episodic so he'd always kind of end the chapter on a bit of a cliffhanger because he wanted people or the magazine wanted to increase sales you're like oh i've got to buy the magazine to find out what happened next um well we've just done that haven't we we've just done that 
Um, right. So let me tell you, let me finish on this, which is prepare to win. Because if you prepare to fail, why should you win? It's amazing how many people go into ventures and do things very badly. And they somehow expect that it'll go well. Amazing numbers of people do that. And by the way, I have done it. So you know that old line from Albert Einstein, which is the definition of madness, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. It's a bit like that, but it's actually people that turn up for a job interview and they just haven't like researched the company um, that they're actually interviewing for. It's astonishing. I mean, I know because I'm, I, I've, I've sort of interviewed people and I've definitely encountered people who I could give an opportunity to. And they've noticeably not made an effort. I mean, I've, I've had people like talk about maybe working on my show and then I chat to them a bit and then it's become apparent that they haven't seen the show, that they don't watch it or something. Uh, I've also had people that were going to hire me for something and then they just haven't looked at my CV. So the questions they ask demonstrate that they don't really know who I am. And I don't mean that in a showbiz, do you know who I am? Because that's ridiculous. Uh, I just mean that, you know, it's elementary stuff that if they're going to approach me about something that they would they would know. I mean, yeah, actually, I'll give you a quick example, which is just working with this TV company and... And they asked me if I'd if I'd ever had an auto cue, right? Like a teleprompter. This is quite literally after best part of a quarter of a century in broadcasting and in television. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've worked with a prompter before. And maybe I'm just being really um, sort of shallow and egocentric or whatever. But to me, it was just they just hadn't like Googled me. Do you know what I mean? So I just we're working with this guy, Google him. And then, you know, it wasn't it just it was a bit weird really but um, this is what people do a lot of people are very lazy you know they really phone it in and they just make the least effort it's astonishing how you know and and i've i've, you know, I've seen people that go to job interviews and they turn up late they haven't they don't know about the company or they're not dressed correctly or you know it just doesn't make sense so for example you know i, I will do these corporate events and i could have a chat with them before I get the gig and it's a little chat about you know what I might do what my approach will be well I first of all say looks lovely to meet you all thanks for making the time and I've had coffee and I've washed my hair and I'm dressed correctly and I've researched the company it's very interesting what you do here and, and I've noticed this and here's what I would do and here's how I'd approach it and I've just prepared now if you prepare and then you fail it's not a problem because you've done your side of the deal, okay? Your half of the agreement was to prepare. If they don't take that, that's their problem and probably their loss, right? So let's say that you go to a job interview and you analyze what the company is about, you prepare your answers, you have examples of your work, you've got your CV, you've got your contacts, like your references, you know, you've done everything. You got there early. You've had a correct amount of food. You went to bed early the night before. You have covered it off to the nth degree. If at that point they don't give you the job, well, that's their problem. And the weird thing is that the pain 
of not getting the job, the rejection is greatly reduced by the knowledge that you did everything you could. So if there was an opportunity in your life and it didn't come to fruition, did you prepare? Did you give it your best shot? If you did, then you can handle that pain. You can handle that rejection and you will be able to move on. And it's going to be positive because it's more experience. Experience is amazing in life, good, bad and indifferent. Anything that happens to you is added to your bank balance of life experience. It is valuable. Probably bad things are more valuable than good things, because as you know, the cliche is that we learn from mistakes and we learn from things that go wrong. We learn from failure. It is true. Nothing worse than being successful. And they just go, oh, do that, you know, like a gig when you go back for the same gig and they go just do what you did last time. So I don't know what I did last time, really. I can't recreate that. Um, So it's very interesting that if you prepare a you've maximized your chance of being successful and b if you fail it hurts less because you know that you did your best whereas if you don't fully prepare so let's say you turn up to the interview late um i know people that have gone out and had wild nights you know a night on the beers before an important thing the next day you know company report presentation job interview whatever um, that just a, something that's going to be very demanding and very important. And they've gone out and they've sabotaged themselves by going and getting drunk and falling into bed at four in the morning, waking up still with that taste of booze on their tongue. Chuck a coffee down you, throw your suit on, run into work, bit of a state, brain fog, chaotic. Uh, your shirt is crumpled. You know, it's not great, is it? So prepare to win, because if you prepare to fail, why should you win? What do you expect? Do you know what I mean? And remember that this is all about moving forward. So don't worry about in the past when you've prepared badly and it's not gone well. That's in the past. You can't change that. But from now on, from the end of this podcast into the rest of the day and then tomorrow and the day after, I want you for a week to just think about every demanding thing that lies ahead. And I want you to prepare in advance. So just do the groundwork, put the hours in, get everything ready. So I'll give you an example for me now. Tomorrow I do a TV show and I want to win. I want that show to win. So I will wake up. So I'll get to bed and I will get the correct amount of sleep because then I'll have a better show because I've got energy. And I'll have correct nutrition. That's preparation, right? Weirdly, if I have too much coffee, I find that I trip over my words when I do the show. So I, I have to have coffee, but not too much. That's how boring it is because I'm like a child. I have like the body of an 11 year old child. And then I will read all the newspapers and I will take notes and I will use the methodology that delivers the best show. And I'll get everything done early ahead of time so that there's less pressure. And I will just prepare, prepare, prepare. And then if the show is, you know, I'll have questions for guests. If the show is then bad or let's imagine the ratings for the show are crushingly disappointing. I can live with that because there's not a thing I would change. Okay, so let's imagine the the audience ratings, the audience figures were terrible. You know, but wait a minute, that interview was good and I prepared that really well and the questions were good. And then we had this and we had that and it was just a good show. And it was just the case that people didn't watch it. And that's okay. 
But with that methodology of always laying the groundwork, what was it? I, I, Sir Alex Ferguson had something like prepare, fail to prepare. Oh, that was it. That was it. Much better than mine. Sir Alex Ferguson said, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Wise man, wasn't he? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think on that Sir Alex Ferguson note, no one does it better. He's an icon. And that's all you needed really, isn't it? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Outstanding. Um, can I thank you for your company? I've really enjoyed chatting to you today, earlier today and tonight. Um, and I hope you have a very good week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like and subscribe and give us an honest review. Tell your friends, tell your family. And I can't wait to see you in a week's time. Have a great week. Have a positive week. Believe in yourself. Back yourself. You can do this. You got this. We're owning failure. We understand that life is difficult. We That is the baseline. Life is hard is the starting point. OK, if things go wrong, it doesn't mean that you've messed up. It's because things go wrong. OK. But where you have rain and you have sleet and snow, you have sunshine as well. It's all there for the taking. Have a great week. Go hard. Go crazy. And I'll see you in seven days. Bye-bye.